Welcome to the most recent episode of the Land and Blast podcast. And what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about land use. And I think it's one of those words that gets thrown around in the real estate world fairly loosely. And a lot of people hear it all the time. But we're going to define a little bit more what that means and okay. why it matters. Um, Copy. So, so to you, in, in, in your professional definition, what is land use? Well, land use is a broad term. But loosely, if I had to describe it, I would just say basically it's what you are or are not allowed to do with your property from a regulation point of view. So basically from some kind of, I almost want to use the word bureaucracy, but it is yeah. some sort of uh, you know county, state agency mm -hmm. is saying you can or can't do this with your property. So land use is in its oversimplification, what you legally can or can't do with your property. Sure. So... I think I think the interesting thing I think a lot of people think about when they think about land use, they think about building permits. Sure. Can I build a house? Can I build a house? That's the most common question we get is, can I build a house? So, but let's back up. Before we get into, can I build a house? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that it goes beyond your local municipality. So, okay. for example... Uh, if I have a piece of farm ground or mm -hmm. if I have a piece of a forest zone property and I want to, to build a house, for example, yeah, I definitely have to deal with the county, the county planning office that I, I am located within that county. I definitely am going to be, uh, you know, dealing with that building department when I go to build the home. Mm -hmm. uh, but depending on where I site the home, I may have to deal with fish and game. If it's a sensitive deer and elk winter ground area, mm -hmm. I may have to deal with division of state lands. If there's wetlands, I may have to deal with fish and game on other things having to do with stream crossings or building driveways. I may have to deal with a whole host of other, I should stop using the term bureaucracies, but the governmental agencies, governmental agencies yeah. that have a say, especially if you're along a stream. Okay. Yeah. So I want to kind of clear it up that, that when we talk about land use, it, it's very much, uh, it's a more broad stroke than just planning and building department. Yeah. Back to your question. Can yeah. I build can a house? Can I build a house? Yeah. So with land or can I build a second home or can I build or can I run a business or can how I build an ADU? How about an ADU? Yes. All those things are uh, in many states. Like there is no regulation on. Like you go to some places in the in the in the south or some places like Arizona has some of the least regulated land use laws in the country <laughs> for whatever reason. Oregon is sandwiched between California and Washington. Washington. And the whole West Coast uh, ha has a significant amount of regulation, especially on resource zone properties, which is what we deal with primarily. All the time, yeah. Uh, so can I build a house? I'll give you a quick rundown of scenarios that you would assume you could build a house on. Mm -hmm. But there's a strong, strong, strong possibility that it might not be possible. Okay. I don't think I said that quite very well. But <laughs> it tracks. It tracks. Um, but farm zone property, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, there's basically three ways to get a home site. Number one is through large track. So depending on what overlays you have, it's either 80 or 160 acres. Mm -hmm. And that's like the minimum threshold to make application. They still don't have to give it to you, but that's like the minimum uh, threshold to make a large track home application. Uh, the next thing with farm zone properties is through uh, low value soils. Mm -hmm. So if you can prove, like we're sitting here on this knob right now, this property is zoned EFU, mm -hmm. but for a number of reasons, even though we have low value soils right here on this rock pit that we're sitting on, you still can't build a home on it. Hmm. 
It's crazy as it is. Already ran up yeah, the flat pole with a land yeah. use of planner. Though we met the minimum threshold for like low value soils, but we still couldn't build on the property we're sitting on right now. And what wide was that? Uh, it had going too much in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, without going, no, it's too far in the weeds. Okay. You can't do it. <laughs> Never mind. It just happened. <laughs> uh, but the second would be low value soils. If you met all the other criteria, like the low value soils would be the, the minimum threshold to make application. But then can you, you know, can you make it through the other things that still is a remains to be seen? Okay. Um, the other thing is through farm income which is a slippery slope of, of proving, you know, how much money you're making on the property, that you're the farmer, how you're doing it, and that it substantiates the need for a residence on the property. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple other real obscure ways to get a home uh, on a farm zone property, but the absolute most secure way to, to build a home is to have there be an existing home that's it's a replacement of versus starting from scratch. Okay, yeah. A grandfathered in home on an EFU property or a farm zone property is is your best, easiest scenario to build a home. And that was like the buckboard homestead. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Once the county recognizes it as a residence, you know, you're you're in a pretty good position with a farm zone property to keep it. Mm -hmm. There's still certain things you have to be careful of. Uh, you can lose that, but that's that's too far under the weeds as well. Uh, forest is similar. Uh, has different types of criteria, but there is a large track forest. There's a there's a forest template, uh, and then there are uh, a few other ways within the forest zoning to to go about it. Um, not to get into those weeds here today. Um, <clears throat> rural residential, mm -hmm. very different situation. And, and again, I'm speaking very specifically to um, to Jackson County. Most specifically, yeah, because there are some different things in Bend and some, yeah, like some different counties a little bit different. Yeah, but it's all yeah. falling under the same umbrella. There's certain yeah. acreage so, requirements. So one requirements. one thing that's really important to note about land use in any resource zone property is, is that regulation starts in Salem. It's not controlled by the individual county. Now certain counties have adopted and had certain code approved that modifies it a little bit different county to county, but the overlying uh, guideline comes from Salem. Mm -hmm. On a rural residentially zoned property, the county has much more uh, freedom to make their own decisions on because it, it falls outside of that resource. That resource is farm, forest, open space. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Another area, uh, I'm just going to hit a few things real quick that are very common questions. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, can I split my parcel? Can I split my lot? Do I have a legal parcel? Those are huge things that, you know, on, on the, you know, on the surface, I have 80 acres. Common sense says I've got neighbors all around me. They're like 20. I should be able to split it. Right. Right. Well, not necessarily. It depends on your zone. All the resource zonings all have a minimum acreage basically across the state of 80 acres with a few exceptions like Deschutes County where you yeah. can get some 30s and, and 40s. Some 20s. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing is lot legality, which is that's borderline too much of a rat hole to go down today. But just because you have a legal or just because you have a tax lot that technically can transfer title mm -hmm. as its own, you know, independent tax lot right. does not necessarily mean it is a legal parcel from the planning department's point of view. Yeah. The tax assessor may recognize it as a tax lot, but it may not be a legal parcel. And step one for any land use application, for any approval, is to prove that you have yeah, a legal, legal parcel. parcel. So if the goal is to develop a property, the most important thing you can determine 
is lot legality status. Now, lot legality has some golden opportunities too, because sometimes you can have multiple legal parcels lying underneath the single tax, tax law, law as well. Yeah. So, anyway, not to confuse. <laughs> that would be a good day. That would be a good day. Yeah, and we've had it before. Yeah, I, I had one property. We thought we had two, and we had like six. Good day for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, ADUs, another hot button thing. ADUs uh, just recently legislation passed in the state of Oregon that basically green-lighted ADUs across the state mm -hmm. with one giant exception, resource-owned properties. So rural residential properties, city properties, like ADUs are really a hot-button item in a good way. Like everybody can do an ADU unless you're resource. Hmm. And that's, that's a little bit different county to county. I think there's some different things that hopefully we're going to get some progress at some point in the ADU side. I say hopefully because I feel like ADUs are don't they don't damage your piece of farm ground in my opinion or they don't damage yes it does create a little bit more living space or whatever but I, the state you know really wants to limit expansion in farm or forest properties uh, I think I think it's healthy but that's yeah. my personal opinion um, but ADUs again rural residential property ADUs are green lighted right now. Hmm. Most of the counties have adopted code or in the process of adopting the code. Um, you know, and I, I'd, I'd be curious what Deschutes, where Deschutes County's at. Yeah, it can be a little bit more complicated inside the city at a county level. It's a little bit more lax, but inside the city, it's they're pretty hard on ADUs. The, and cities are definitely, yeah. um, depending on what the goal is of the city, you know, they can be different. I know here in Jackson County and in Josephine County, most of the cities are all in support of ADUs like the, trying to solve the housing shortage. Right, so, that's, and that's the big push. Yeah. Another thing, this is even more of a hot button thing, is Airbnb. Yeah, and the short-term rental. Short-term rental. Oh my um, goodness. I would guess that in Jackson County, where we're standing right now, yeah. 95 plus percent of the Airbnbs advertised online that are outside of the city limits are not permitted. I would, I would agree with that. Because the county does not have a provision outside of a bed and breakfast, really, for short-term rental unless it was grandfathered in, some kind of cabin use or something that was grandfathered in. Yeah, and my understanding is the same in Deschutes County. You can get the permits inside the city limits, but at the county level, you're actually not Correct. And then every city is enforcing the, the not the ADU, but the uh, Airbnb rules a little bit differently. Uh, some cities are just like the county, not permitted at all. Yeah. Uh, certain cities are like green light. And like a little nugget here is that like the city of Gold Hill is just like green light. Hmm. It's this little tiny river town. Green light. Wow. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jacksonville has some pretty good things for um, for Airbnb. Ashland has some rules that allow you to do it, but it's kind of complicated. Uh, I, there's a couple other cities that are just flat no. Yeah. So... Uh, the next thing that we really hit a lot of uh, questions on mm -hmm. is, can I can I run a business from my home? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it totally depends. It depends. Uh, most of the, the municipalities and most of the counties have a home occupation permit process, mm -hmm. but there are limitations on what that might be. For example, here, like the second line item, like as you get in to read the application is, if you want to start an automotive business, the answer is absolutely no. Hmm. Like if you want to have an, auto, uh, an automotive shop in the county, and this is county, not city, yeah. um, it's just flat no. Hmm. Uh, very common businesses that get approved all the time it has to do with any kind of home office. 
So CPAs, real estate brokers, anything where you're having occasional general public coming to your house, it's like a $1,700 application, you submit it, and you know you, you go through the process. There's paperwork you gotta fill out and so yeah. on and so forth, but it's relatively straightforward to get so long as you're having a minimal impact from general public coming and going from your property. Yeah. Uh, other things, like for example, any farm-based businesses on farms own properties wineries tasting rooms if you meet the criteria for those good to go definitely doable yeah uh try to put a wedding venue on a property different a standalone wedding venue it's challenging very challenging it generally has to be attached to some other kind of approval like a winery tasting room Mm -hmm. event kind of thing and it's still kind of maybe okay maybe not depend on how you you look at it uh uh, the other part of like the home business is anything hospitality Mm -hmm. that springs off the airbnb conversation but campgrounds rv parks event venues retreat centers uh extremely difficult to get approved outside of a commercial zoned property very very few properties in oregon outside the city limits have a rural commercial zoning Right. Yeah. Pretty Very, unusual. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the resource on properties, it's an uphill battle. And I know of many different court cases that have gone all the way to Luba and different things here locally that have not gone the property owner's way. Hmm. And most of it has to do with objection from neighbors. Neighbors have a lot of pull. And they take issue with the goings-on. or the goings <clears throat> Take issue with the goings-on, or you have an easement that doesn't technically allow you to have commercial use, and the person you're, prop- they're, you know, you're going over who owns that easement you know, isn't allowing you to change it, whatever it might be. There's just a lot of different things that can impact one's ability to do any kind of commercial venture on a non-commercial property. Gotcha. Uh, the last thing... And does that change with like campgrounds and things like that? A pre-existing non-conforming use campground is by far the easiest way to go. Okay. Buy one that exists. Make sure it's in decent standing with the county. Go that route. Don't try to start from scratch. The last thing I wanted to touch bases on after like the business side of it, and the retreat side of it, has to do with uh, annexation and urbanization. Okay. So this is getting to a fairly deep topic. Yeah, and this is touching on like urban growth boundary stuff. Correct, yeah. which you studied a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Your degree a, was a part you, of that. Yeah, that interface. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, what I want to touch on briefly uh, is one of the things, just because you border city limits does not mean in our lifetimes that property may ever get brought into urban growth boundary or ever annexed. Yeah. Also, uh, Many of those processes run, like for example, RPS, which is the regional problem solving process that every city is supposed to participate in in Oregon to manage their urban reserve to meet their housing needs, mm-hmm. uh, is a process that takes many years, has a lot of chucking and jiving for position to for people to get their properties in. It's not something that you just walk down the city and be like, hey, I'd like to get my property into the city limit does not work like that it is a a very in-depth process that people spend a lot of money with attorneys to you know position themselves to be most likely yeah there's been many orchards and many farms that have been taken out specifically just to make the properties more uh, not not even appealing but eligible yeah to be brought in the uh 
But the reason I wanted to touch bases on this also for a second also has to do with our investor clients. Mm -hmm. Because because if you understand the the regional problem solving process, urbanization, annexation process, uh, you know, there is definitely opportunities because of the push right now in the state of Oregon that more properties are going to be coming into that mix. Mm -hmm. And if you have a property, if you already own a property, or if you're looking to you know, purchase a property, you can get educated on that process, but it's not as simple as one might think. Yeah. Uh, I have had a lot of farm clients who have done very well by generational properties coming into urban growth boundary and then subsequently being annexed and being able to be sold to developers. Right. Uh, with that said, uh, the other thing, uh, you know, I just I want to circle back to with the whole land use topic has to do with some of the pitfalls that I've seen over and over. Sure. And what, what do those look like? Trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. That's how I would describe it. And I'm not just talking about the seller mm -hmm. or the seller's realtor. I'm talking about the person who happens to be standing at the county the day you walk into the planning department. Okay. I'm talking about the person you talk to who's a, supposedly a land use expert. I'm talking, you know, and not so much on like the land use attorney side. Those guys are. Those are pretty spot on. But I'm talking about the, the contractor. Sure. Who says, oh, I'm sure we can build a house here. No problem. But, yeah. If he's built a hundred houses on rural residential, he's right. But if he doesn't fully understand all the complexities, for example, of a resource on property, uh, he may mean well, but he might be wrong. Yeah. So trust but verify. We've we've seen many scenarios where people who have bought properties with major deficiencies, believing that they were a non-issue. Like, I bought a place to build a house, and I cannot build a house. Mm. Or I I bought a place that had an existing business but the existing business was not permitted, hmm. even though it had been running, it was licensed and so on and so forth for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I bought the property believing I could subdivide it because the seller told me I could, and I can't. Trust but verify. The property's been running as an Airbnb for the last 10 years, but it's not permitted. Yeah. And it didn't become grandfathered in just because I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, there's no SDR permit. You know, those kinds of things I can't tell you if you're gonna if you're gonna use the property in any way, shape, or form, other than its existing use, with the caveat that I just mentioned about the Airbnb. Yeah. So long as it's within that general zoning approval, if you're gonna be doing it, you know, changing the use, you have to understand land use, and you have to have someone on your side. You know, and and I'll be the first to admit, I, I know a lot of the red flags to look for. And as the years have gone by, I've learned, especially in Jackson County, because of the, you know, just doing a lot of transactions here, you know, what, what to look for. But for example, even if I, if I want, if I bought a property of my own and I was going to uh, get the lot legality determined on that property, mm -hmm. even though it's probably going to cost me an extra four or $5,000, I'm still going to hire a land use planner to help me through that process. Sure. If I'm going to apply for a home site on a piece of resource owned property, still likely going to hire a land use planner to help me through that process. I mean, it's kind of a better, better safe than sorry mentality, right? It is. I mean, there are some circumstances where you might like building permits and things like that um, are a little more straightforward. And if it's a piece of property that's zoned rural residential where it's an outright entitlement, yeah, not really worried about it, but anything that becomes a conditional approval. Yeah. That's where I start to really go yeah, in Oregon. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lean on an expert. 
even if I just consult with them and maybe I fill out the application myself, yeah, I'm still going to get their their two cents on the yeah, subject. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely before I close on a piece of property and leave due diligence. Absolutely. So <laughs> anyway, I hope that gives everyone a little bit of a, a picture of the term land use. When I use the term land use, like these are just things that I'm kind of rattling off the top of my head. I, I, I had a few bullet points kind of noted that I wanted to touch on, but this is just kind of the world we live in every day. Yeah. In a so, big way. Well, thank you for taking us through that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that was helpful. Yeah. Hopefully uh, those for you watching and listening found that interesting too. And it's definitely something that we can get heavy in the weeds on, but yeah. as a primer overview, you know, just things to keep an eye on and keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you guys next time.